Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to My Haunted Life Podcast, the podcast all about the dark history behind your favorite paranormal stories. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn. Good morning, goblins and ghouls. I hope you are doing well and you're having a great day or a lovely evening. I'm just picturing you listening to this in a darkened room with candlelight, sipping tea. Sounds absolutely lovely for you. It's like 5.30 here. I have cats running around like crazy. I'm very jealous of your serenity at the moment. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but it seems to have been a very rough week. I'm dealing with some personal issues. I've had a couple friends lose pets. I don't know what's going on. But just, you know, be nice to each other. You don't know what's going on with someone. Just everybody be gentle with each other after this week. It's been insane. So, I really don't have a whole lot of housekeeping, which is exciting, um, I guess. So, you know, that, that, that's your assignment today. Go, go do something kind for someone. On this week's episode, I'm finally finishing off the Salem episodes with a little trip to Old Bearing Point Cemetery the oldest cemetery in Salem and the second oldest cemetery in the nation. This is the quintessential colonial cemetery. It's, oh, it's gorgeous. It has the 400 year old hand carved tombstones, you know, the classic ones, the memento moris with the skull in the wings or the face in the wings. It's beautiful. Big leafy trees creating these long shadows and whose old roots are starting to push up and push over tombstones. It's beautiful. I loved it. I highly recommend it. And it's incredibly haunted. Which is always kind of an interesting thing, because a lot of people don't believe cemeteries can be haunted. But this one has a long history of hauntings connected to it. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea, make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. There is a fatality, a feeling so irresistible and inevitable that it has the force of doom, which almost invariably compels human beings to linger around and haunt. Ghost-like, the spot where some great 
and marked event has given the color to their lifetime. And still, the more irresistibly, the darker the tinge that saddens it. Nathaniel Hawthorne Located in Salem, Massachusetts, Old Bearing Point, also known as the Charter Street Cemetery, is the oldest cemetery in Salem and the second oldest cemetery in the nation. The Bearing Point was established in 1637. It is the final resting place for only 347. Maybe. I read some accounts that state that Revolutionary War soldiers were buried in a mass grave on the site of the cemetery without a marker. So some believe it's up to 700, but I couldn't find official, but I wanted to throw it out there. But don't let this little cemetery fool you. The graves of many historical figures can be found there. Some of these important historical figures include Mayflower passenger Captain Richard Moore and the last governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Simon Broadstreet. This cemetery on Charter Street, which overlooks the South River, was built on land set aside by the early townspeople in Salem. This action was the result of a vote in 1637, as Salem was in a great need for a designated burial site after many colonists had died from sickness in the preceding decade. This was especially so in the years of 1628 and 1629. Burials prior to 1673 were marked with wooden grave markers often called coffin post or coffin rails, which have since deteriorated and no longer exist. In 1673, the oldest existing gravestone in the cemetery, the Cromwell Stone, was placed there when Dorothy Cromwell passed away on September 27, 1673, at the age of 67. At the time, the South River surrounded the cemetery on two sides, which is why the cemetery was referred to as a point. The cemetery is now a popular destination in Salem, especially since the memorial to those that were killed during the Salem Witch Trials is situated toward the entrance of the cemetery. And I believe, if I remember correctly, it's like directly across from the um, Peabody Essex Museum, like the art museum, it's gorgeous. It's, it's downtown. It might have these gorgeous lofty trees and this old country feeling, but it is downtown Salem. It's very accessible. It can be visited from dawn till dusk and the interest is free to all. Considering Salem's tumultuous history, it makes sense that its cemetery is just as haunted as the rest of the city. In fact, there are nearly almost 400 years of ghostly accounts at the old Bearing Point Cemetery.
None of the victims of the Salem witch trial were buried at Old Burying Point. That would mean giving them a Christian burial. They're supposed to be buried near their gallows and unmarked graves. But many of their tormentors were buried at Old Burying Point. Judge Bartholomew Gedney, uh, Salem Witch Trials Judge, died in 1698, is buried in a red sandstone box tomb about 60 feet from the front gate. Samuel Shuttuck Jr., young son of the Shuttucks family who escaped, who accused Bridget Bishop of bewitching him and making him ill, died in 1695 at age 17 and is buried towards the front of the cemetery. Reverend Nichols Nicholas Noyes, assistant minister during the Salem witch trials, died in 1718, is believed to be buried in an unmarked grave somewhere in the cemetery. And he, uh, he was a piece of work. Noyes is particularly remembered for two quotations. Sarah Good's curse against him at her execution. I am no more a witch than you are a wizard. And if you take my life, God will give you blood to drink. Is a key element in Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The House of Seven Gables. Also unforgettable is Noise's own quote uttered on the last Mass Execution Day, September 22nd. What a sad thing it is to see eight firebrands of hell hanging there. But there's probably not more of a notorious resident to Bearing Point than Judge John Hawthorne. While not legally trained, Hawthorne was a trusted law official and was, like the other judges, a wealthy merchant. He owned a wharf and a liquor license and was a landowner with property in Maine. Early in his career, he became a delegate to the general court and ultimately remained in the judiciary for his whole life. Promoted to the Supreme Court in 1702, he resigned in 1712. He was a judge during the Salem Witch Trials and, by most accounts, was wholly unapologetic about his involvement in the trials, even upon his deathbed receiving the dubious nickname of the Hanging Judge. Hawthorne is the great-great-grandfather of Nathaniel Hawthorne, the famous writer of such works as House of Seven Gables. Nathaniel was so ashamed of his ancestors' actions, he added a W to his surnames in hopes of concealing their relationship. Many visitors to the old Barry Point Cemetery claimed to have captured the ghost of Judge John Hawthorne in photographs 
taken of his grave and around the cemetery. Apparently he's he's pretty active. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any of these pictures. Nathaniel Hawthorne, the author, recognized the importance of this dark era despite wanting to be separated from his ancestor. Throughout Hawthorne's writings, you'll discover that some of his character names are actually homages to the ones carved into the gravestones at Bering Point Cemetery. The paradox of Nathaniel Hawthorne's interest in Bering Point is believed to stem from late night strolls with his wife, Sophia. Sophia suffered from chronic migraines, so in an effort to ease her pain, she and Nathaniel developed the habit of taking midnight walks around the neighborhood, including through the cemetery. Viewing these names night after night, it's no wonder they influenced him. Perhaps the most notable work influenced by his strolls through Bearing Point was the House of Green Gables. It's like right there. I didn't get to visit it when we were there. I think it was like closed. And we because it was closed, we didn't go by. But it's it's the House of Seven Gables is like right there. It's not far. After Hawthorne, I'll move on from mentioning it, but it's it's kind of important to the story. The novel follows a New England family and their mysterious house. Throughout the story, Hawthorne explains the aftermath of witchcraft accusations. It is believed that Nathaniel Hawthorne took the inspiration for the character Judge Jaffrey Pynchon from House of Seven Gables from his real-life relative, Judge Jonathan Hawthorne. The character is described as outwardly kind and benevolent, but is really obsessed with power and wealth. Another, perhaps, is Hepzibah Pynchon. I love that name. There is a Hepzibah Parker found among the graves at Bearing Point. So, you know, close enough, I guess. Hepzibah Drake Parker was not involved in the witchcraft hysteria, having died nearly a decade before the trials even occurred. And by most accounts, she died without scandal. Just a young wife who died too soon. She was only 25 years old. One red website I read, I believe it was ghostcitytours.com. They have actually tours apparently all over the country, but they have some wonderful information about the hauntings of these places and we're a big source for this one. Uh, it was the Memento Mori death head that was carved into her tombstone that might have gained Nathaniel's attention. This is the classic skull with angel wings. This became a popular trend in Salem and the surrounding areas as it symbolized 
both one's physical death and one's spiritual regeneration. I have used this symbol in so many pieces, it's not even funny. I have two different hair slides with it. I use I love it. It's all over the place in my art. Anyways, Bearing Point has so many different ones. At this time, most of the tombstones were all engraved by hand, so each one is so unique. Now, I can't tell you if Nathaniel Hawthorne actually drew any inspiration from Hepzibah's Memento Mori, but I thought it was an interesting observation that this website made, and I love it, the symbolism, so, you know, I had to add it in. Sensitives who have visited Old Pairing Point have reportedly become overwhelmed with the sensation of sadness and despair, even while just walking through the graveyard. The heavy feeling of depression descends and sends innocent passerbys into feeling as though there is little hope to be found in the world. Over the years, people have successfully captured EVPs of voices from beyond at Bearing Point. I found this EVP attributed to Bearing Point, but I don't know. You guys listen to it and tell me if you hear it. According to the website, it says go break things. I don't personally hear that. I don't know what I'm hearing. So, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Also captured at the cemetery v photographs are mysterious shadows, emanating lights, orbs, white mist, and even apparitions. A few years back, a man named Mike visited Old Bearing Point Cemetery and had a paranormal encounter. And this is what he said about it. I saw it peeking out of the ground, he said as he described what he captured with his camera. He claimed that the apparition was just in front of him, of the graves, and that it looked like a very strange torso wearing a suit and tie, mutton chops, shoulder height out of the ground. Not long after Mike's visit to the cemetery, two young friends dared to enter Bearing Point. It was in the dead of night that the two walked through the cemetery. I assume it's not that hard, probably, to get into Bearing Point. I believe it's open dusk to dawn. Or, say dawn to dusk. I said that backwards. Um, but if I remember correctly, the, the fence is fairly small. And there's small walls around. So I don't think it would be that hard to sneak in at night. 
But it wasn't long before they saw something that they would not soon forget. What they saw was a shadowy apparition raising up from the grave, right in front of a gravestone. Another twosome, two sisters, had an encounter at the cemetery, but their experience occurred while on a ghost tour. Neither of them had ever stepped inside the gates of Burying Point prior to that night. Like others on the tour, they snapped copious amounts of pictures. Later, when they uploaded the photos onto their computer, they were shocked to discover that they had captured paranormal images. One of the sisters says that she doesn't even have to look at the pictures to know that something supernatural occurred that night in the cemetery. For her, she says those images she caught on camera still haunts my mind to this day. Another commonly cited apparition in Old Bearing Point is the Lady in White. She seems to be a bit camera shy, as there is little photographic evidence of her manifestations. Normally, once the camera comes out, the lady in white transitions into bright orbs or vanishes altogether. One website said that an expertly timed photograph was slightly able to capture an image of her, but I couldn't find it. There was a lot of talk about all the f photographic evidence from Bearing Point, but I dug for these things. Unless people have like personal websites or something, I cannot find these. I found a couple and I'll have them on the website, but I, for the most part, I just could not find a whole lot. I was kind of shocked. So if you have some, please send it to me. The Lady in White has allegedly even been spotted in the parking lot to the cemetery as well as nearby in buildings and restaurants, especially Murphy's Pub, which we will get into a lot. Though it is entirely possible these sightings are of different spirits. If there is just one spirit. Who was the lady in white? Some have theorized that it might be Mary Corey. Her ghostly apparition has been reported coming from within Old Bearing Point Cemetery and around the marker of Mary Corey. Mary Bright Corey died on August 28, 1684. She was the second wife of Giles Corey, who later became a victim in the Salem Witch Trials. Giles died from being executed by Sheriff George Corwin. This, this is the one that, uh, you know, he was crushed to death near the Howard Street Cemetery on Cemetery. September 19th, 1692, just after 
the eighth anniversary of Mary's passing. While Mary was indeed Giles' second wife, and as we know, he goes on to marry another after this, historians surmise that she was also the love of his life. So it tends to reason that her marker would be highly haunted. It's interesting too, that when her spirit is seen, it's often heading towards Howard Street Cemetery near where her husband was killed. Maybe perhaps she's trying to comfort him in the afterlife. As we found out with, from our interview with Rachel Christstone from the Salem Witch Museum, Giles was also a very romantic soul. So maybe they both were, you know. Maybe it was true love. It is also likely that the lady in white could be an Irish Catholic immigrant, as she usually appears on the outskirts of the cemetery, which is where the Irish were buried. This segregates the, the Anglo-American long history of mistreatment against the Irish in Massachusetts. Or there might be a totally different spirit who wears a very different shade. Another feminine ghost that has been seen in the corner of the cemetery is the lady in blue. She is usually spotted wearing a powdered blue dress and holding a picnic basket in hand. Sometimes she is also accompanied by a young boy. It is believed the two spirits were mother and son and died in a fire. Roosevelt in later Murphy's was at one time considered a hotspot for demonic activities. Its former owner, Henry McGowan, once maintained that he came face to face with a female apparition while he was working alone late one night. At about 3 a.m., he said that he was on the second floor of Murphy's Pub, and when looking up toward the third floor, he saw someone in the shape of a woman looking down at him. Startled, he did a double take, and the apparition had vanished. His story frightened him so much that he reported it to a local newspaper. This story was actually printed and reported in the North Andover Eagle back in 2001. Which I couldn't find, so if any locals have it, please let me know. It's really interesting. I could not find any more mention of demonic activities at Murphy's. Haunted, yes. Demonic, not so much. Most of the searches brought up stuff about the Salem Satanic Temple that opened a couple years ago. And I also found two different cases of Henry McGowan, the former owner of Roosevelt, sexually assaulting two different women. I believe in 
the pub. It's quite possible that the scariest thing at Roosevelt's was Henry and not the spirits. Shortly after these instances, though, it appears that Roosevelt's was no more. That being said, Murphy's Pub, which closed, I believe, during the pandemic, or right about, is now Casa Tequila, is definitely haunted. I found this wonderful article from a wicked local. I cannot do a Bostonian accent as much as I absolutely wish I could. Um, so imagine saying wicked local with that accent, please, because it makes me happy. Um, anyways, that interviews one of the bartenders of Murphy's at the time. This place is wicked haunted, Jamie Matthews says unflinchingly as he tends bar at Murphy's Pub located downtown at 300 Darby Street. A co-worker overhears the sentiment and nods in agreement as she walks by. Matthews, who has bartended at Murphy's for seven years, has more than a couple stories to back his assessment up. The former bouncer, decked out with piercings and a long black ponytail, is not one to be frightened easily and considered himself a skeptic before taking the job. While being alone, closing the bar, he has heard disembodied footsteps above him, voices of little kids and women, seen the dark shadow of a man walking a wearing a tall hat creeping in his peripheral vision multiple times and once witnessed the bar's televisions, which cannot be operated simultaneously, switching on and off time and time again for about 45 minutes. However, the most jarring experience came when he was on an upper floor he walked through a door with a hydraulic stopper and suddenly felt every hair on his body stand on end. The door, which should not have been able to slam, slammed shut and when and he, he was then spun around and forcibly by what he described as someone shoving his shoulder with intense power. When something like that actually turns you around, it definitely makes you think, he said. Matthew said the energy and the spirits in the building have something to do with the Bering Point Cemetery. The retaining wall of which literally makes up one of the walls of the bar, meaning the bodies buried under the hilltop cemetery are directly level with the patrons of the bar. The activity got so bad, one employee started burning sage and kept some in a glass behind the bar for protection. Matthews, despite his startling encounters, says he doesn't feel like the spirits of the pub are sinister, but more curious and 
playful. Now, remember the story of the lady in blue and the little boy? It is said that they are the ones hanging on in Murphy's. Well, Casa Tequila now. When I visited, it was still Murphy's, so I'll talk. I'll probably just keep using Murphy so I don't get myself confused. There is perhaps another weird connection between the little boy and Murphy's. There was a small coffin believed to have been that of a child that once broke through the wall of the restaurant, suggesting that perhaps some graves were built over when the property was constructed. One of these stories says that there was an awful automobile accident that occurred many years ago, resulting in the casket of a young child being thrown from the hearse that was transporting it. And upon being ejected, the casket crashed through Murphy's exterior wall. Because if I remember correctly, Murphy's was once a morgue, or at least holding area. And it was also a paper mill, if I remember correctly. Um, I heard this story when we were in Salem. So I definitely made my friends go. And... We, of course, had to have a couple beers. Why not? The story I heard was that one of the walls of Murphy's, the re- one of the retaining walls that was against Bearing Point Cemetery, just collapsed, spilling coffins and dirt into the bar. And multiple people supposedly were in the bar and witnessed this happen. I swear there was a newspaper clipping about it in the bar but I didn't get a picture of it and I'm kicking myself now but I remember reading it and now I'm wondering if it's like the Shazam thing that my brain's just connecting dots for me but I don't think so according to the newspaper clipping none of the witnesses have come forward to confirm it. It was believed to be a case of a mass hallucination. But there was no damage to the bar. Like there's one section where you could tell they fixed some drywall and people were like, that's the place where everything collapsed and the the bodies and the graves came in. And if you ask everybody, or certain people it didn't happen like there's people that claim to have photographs of this but they keep them very private apparently and if you have them please send it because some of the articles I read they have the picture of the accident with the little boy So I don't know if these are two different stories that just got combined or what, 
I don't know what's going on here, but I'm very curious. So if anybody has actual evidence of this happening, please let me know. Because everything I've read says, oh yeah, we had this one story happen, but nobody believes it kind of thing. So please, 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 if you have something, let me know. Old Bearing Point Cemetery will be a testament to another era, a darker era in our country's history. It is recommended by a couple different ghost tour groups in Salem to leave a couple coins on the few gravestones or the entrance whenever visiting a burial ground as a sign of respect to the spirits within and to hope they don't follow you home. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. If you are interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, make sure to check out my website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And that's the finale of the Salem episodes. Next week, I have a really fun little one-off of vampire story for you. Getting ready for the Arcane Vampire Ball here in Denver. If you have a ghost story to share, email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. And make sure to tell your friends and family about it. Word of mouth goes a long way. You can also follow My Haunted Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. You can support the show for as little as $2 a month. And there's going to be lots of fun special episodes coming up only for patrons. Music is by Ghost Stories Incorporated. And that's it for this show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay haunted.